Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash helpless. That's babbel.com slash helpless for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Self Helpless. I'm Kelsey Cook. I'm Delaney Fisher. And today we have on one of our most, um, I guess, most popular guests that we've had on the show. Uh, the episode we did with her a few years ago um, has just received so much positive feedback, and it's a, an episode we refer to a lot. We have back on Dr. Jolene Brighton. Um, we are talking with her today about common hormone imbalance. And when we had her on a few years ago, we were talking about post-birth control syndrome. So she is truly an expert in everything. She's a board certified women's hormone expert and prominent leader in women's medicine. She's a licensed naturopathic physician, and she just is really such a wealth of knowledge. And um, her book, Beyond the Pill, is, is something that I think a lot of people have had changed their lives. So we are so excited to talk with her again today. I can't remember if it's something I had brought up previously on the podcast or not, but I personally have been having a lot of struggles with my period in the past year and a half. And it seems to have come up from, you know, maybe a combination of things happening, but it's gotten to a point where I'm like, man, I am really having a hard time figuring out how to get back to a normal period. So I know that this episode might not be applicable for all of our listeners, but if you're somebody who has had any thyroid issues, hormone issues, issues with being on birth control, getting off birth control, um, it just, this is a very information dense episode. She gives us so much, so much really helpful info. So, um, if this is something that pertains to you, I hope it helps you as much as it has helped me (laughs) listening to her today. And uh, if not, we will see you in the next episode. (laughs) It is kind of a specific one. So, um, and this is coming out on October 24th, which means that my, my tour dates coming up November 4th through the 6th in Atlanta. And then my Burbank date has been moved to next year, but so many tour dates already lined up for next year. You guys, Raleigh, Providence, Philly, Portland, Minneapolis, um, Cincinnati, so many. So go to KelseyCook.com and get those tour date tickets. Adele, what's going on with you? Yeah, you can head over to DelaneyFisher.com if you're an entrepreneur. Uh, I have a podcast called The Minimalist Business Podcast. We talk about scaling a business without sacrificing your time and your health and all that stuff. So feel free to check it out if you're an entrepreneur um, and you want some hot tips. We'd love to have you over there. Sweet. All right. Please enjoy our episode with Dr. Brighton. Dr. Brighton, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, So happy to have you here today. 
I'm really yeah. excited to be here chatting again. It's it, it's been a minute since we've talked, but it doesn't feel like it because I see you on Instagram uh, being hilarious all the time. <laughs> oh, thank you. Same to you. I watch all of your videos. They're so informative and you have really figured out a way to make something that I think a lot of people don't understand more digestible and, and just you just make it easier to learn. So thank you for everything you're doing on there too. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I feel like your episode was so impactful for our audience and also us. I mean, like however many years ago that was where we had you on the podcast, Kelsey and I are both off of um, hormonal birth control, right? Kelsey, you're yeah. still mm -hmm. off that as well. Yeah. So we took a lot of action after we had you on the podcast, you know, a while back and it's totally changed my life. How are you feeling now? Great. Yeah, <laughs> great. I, um, I could not feel better, um, like mentally and emotionally in terms of post birth control. I think all the time about, I feel like there were two different me is like pre birth control me, or I'm sorry, like while I was on birth control and then off yeah. Especially in terms of anxiety. I mean, my anxiety now is very, very low. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's really, it takes a lot for me to feel, um, those sort of anxious feelings. And before it was all the time, it was true. It felt like true generalized anxiety disorder, where it was like, I could not stop ruminating yeah. on stuff. So, um, I feel a lot better mentally, but physically I've had a really hard time with my period, which is, um, a big reason why we wanted to reach out and have you on to talk about common hormone imbalance, because, um, I think a lot of people have been struggling with this when they get off the pill and then potentially, um, I know of people who have been dealing with it after they've gotten the vaccine, they've had some changes in their period. Mm -hmm. And so we just wanted to have you on to talk about all kinds of things with, with hormone imbalance. So, um, we're just going to start by asking what are some signs and symptoms that somebody has a hormone imbalance? You know, <clears throat> I've answered this question so many times. And at this point, I'm like, I, I feel like saying, you know, everything that um, you you're told is normal, like everything that um, you ever see in like a sitcom or any kind of like Disney TV show, because then they're now talking about periods. That is something that we talk about now. Um, oh, but, okay. you know, these things that like you just see is like, oh, she's raging. Oh, she's, um, you know, can't, she can't get out of bed. She's so tired or cramping. Uh, all of these things are signs of hormone imbalance. And because medicine has so focused for so long and they still do on our male counterparts, that is, um, you're assigned male at birth. You are our test subject. Everything will be, you know, based on you. And then we've got this, you know, inferior uterine, you know, ovarian model, uh, which is crazy because it's like, yes, we are both humans. And yet we are very, very different when you look at our hormones. And so because of that, we've seen a lot like fall to the wayside or things just being called normal or what's even worse is being weaponized against us. So signs of a hormone imbalance, your hormones affect every single system of your body. So it can be mood changes, right? So we can see anxiety, we can see depression, we can see lack of motivation, we can see irritability, 
all these same things happen in men uh, as well. They just might not cycle with their issues. But if it's something like hypothyroidism, we'll see that both men and women can feel very depressed. They can feel lack of motivation. They may notice that they're gaining weight for no good reason, dry skin, hair loss. And if those things those can be thyroid, but they could be, you know, other issues going on like elevated cortisol, which can also lead to feeling like you can't fall asleep at night or you don't have enough progesterone. So you can't fall asleep and you can't stay asleep in the evening. Um, and then of course there's all the period problems, right? So feeling like, you know, you are going to lose your mind the week or two before your period. That's not normal. That's a sign of a hormone imbalance. Feeling like you want to eat all of the things and you can't stop yourself. Yes, you should. You should notice you have increased cravings before your period. That's normal because of insulin and what is happening with progesterone. However, if you're like, I'm starving all the time, you they might be showing insulin dysregulation is starting up. So I just listed off like a lot of different things. And I think like the big one that drives women to get on the pill, then they come off and they're like, why can I not function anymore? Are the PMS, the heavy periods, the painful periods, the, you know, feeling like you're dragging and you can't get out of bed or acne. So all of these symptoms, they are signs of hormone imbalance. They are not normal, but they have been considered normal by most of medicine for a very long time. Wow. That's such an important thing to hear that it's not normal because you're right. It really is taught to us at a very young age. Like these are just the things to look for. And when you feel that it's like, well, that's just because you're a woman and that's part of what happens with PMS or a period. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, don't look into it. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, or here's the pill. No, it is the, like the whole story goes, you know, you go to the doctor and you're like, I've got period problems. I've got, and they're like, Oh, down there or hormone problems. Do you want a baby? No, here's the pill. Okay. But what if I do want to have a baby? We'll just deal with that later. Um, and that's really problematic, especially right. as we recognize that there are a whole lot of women who never, ever, ever want to have a baby. And as a doctor and a mother myself, I want hundred percent support that because if it ain't for you, do not get into it. It's hard. It's not easy at all. (laughs) But also why are we saying that like, only if you want to procreate, will we deeper dive here? Will you get additional healthcare? Like, what is that biased about? Like, that's insane to me. Wow. Yeah. And Dr. Brighton, you mentioned hypothyroidism. So my situation is different from Kelsey's in the sense that I think Kelsey, you've said you felt like totally different on the pill and versus off the pill where I didn't feel different on the pill versus off the pill. However, I developed, uh, I, I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's several years ago. And I told them, uh, before we went on medication and stuff like that, I said, can you just like, give me some time because I'm about to make a couple lifestyle changes. And I told them I'm about to go off of hormonal birth control. And I also was changing up what I was eating and stuff. And the result of going fully plant-based and and getting off hormonal birth control, when I went back to the doctor, I didn't have Hashimoto's anymore. Have, Have you seen anything like that? Have you seen like a pattern like that when people do go off of hormonal birth control and stuff like that, that symptoms around other things reduce or even reversals happen? Oh, absolutely. And if we talk about Hashimoto's, so I have Hashimoto's too. Um, Many, many women have Hashimoto's. Um, It's one of the most common autoimmune conditions and it primarily affects women. And so once we get 
into our mid thirties, we're at a very high risk of developing it. So with Hashimoto's, um, for people who are not familiar with this, it is when you have an autoimmune disease that attacks your thyroid gland. So your thyroid gland sits at the front of your neck and it produces thyroid hormone, which influences your mood, your metabolism, your menstrual cycle, your ability to poop. Uh, pooping problems can definitely be a sign of hormone wow. balance. But it impacts, so every single cell in the body has receptors for thyroid hormone. So it can show up differently for different people, but it does absolutely affect every single system in the body. And what we know is, is that if it's left untreated, um, the hypothyroidism, the sequelae of Hashimoto's, that can lead to cardiovascular issues. And so we see what's called hyperlipidemia, high cholesterol is um, associated with low thyroid hormone. And we can also see that um, when it's finally caught in older populations, they can have uh, cardiovascular disease, which is life-threatening. So this is a very serious condition that is very seriously dismissed a lot of the times because you go to the doctor and you're like, I'm gaining weight. They're like, eat right and exercise. Oh my God. Why did we ever tell anyone that? Like ever, like it just drives me nuts. You're like, well, I'm really tired. They're like, oh, well, you must be getting older. I mean, I have women in their twenties that their doctor's like, well, you're getting older. Like what? Oh my no. gosh. Wow. Like, oh my God. Maybe if I'm 90, okay. Come <laughs> at me with this rhetoric, but like, no. Um, they're losing their hair and they're told like, oh, that's, you know, that's part of aging, or maybe they bounce to the dermatologist. A lot of dermatologists are actually pretty good at testing for this, but, you know, and then the other thing is the hypothyroidism. So Hashimoto's, you destroy the thyroid gland. Now you don't make enough thyroid hormone. Now you have hypothyroidism that can lead to issues with irregular periods, missing periods, heavy periods, which you're often met with a prescription for the pill. And so we've got to address the Hashimoto's. We've got to address the hypothyroidism. The pill doesn't do that. Now, to your point of like, okay, well, I came off the pill and my Hashimoto's is gone. Well, your Hashimoto's is in remission. I hate to be the one to tell anybody that like, once you have an autoimmune disease, like you've lost tolerance to yourself, your immune system's like, I don't know you from an invader. So like, it's on if I feel like it, like that's, that's always par for the course, which means that you just have to like, you basically have to like treat your body. Like many of us arrive in our forties realizing we need to treat our body. Like wish we had done younger. Like you, you get that bonus, right? It's like, Oh, now I really have to take care of myself. Yeah. Um, but with that, the pill specifically there, there's no study that shows that the pill causes Hashimoto's or makes things worse. But what we do know is that the majority of the immune system lives in your gut. And if there's anything irritating your gut or leading to intestinal hyperpermeability, what people call leaky gut, then that can definitely perpetuate an autoimmune disease, if not be part of how it gets activated to begin with. And if the pill is an offender, like ibuprofen is an offender, and you're taking that every single day, and we remove that, and we allow the gut the ability to heal. So you're saying like, I'm primarily eating plants. Um, Hi, microbiome loves that. Microbiome <laughs> also loves to signal to your immune system and be like, chill, yo, it's okay, it's okay. And so that can absolutely help. And I have seen this in patients, and I talk about this in my book, Beyond the Pill, where coming off of hormonal birth control was like the last thing they needed to really start to heal. And is this true for everyone? It is not true for everyone. And do we have research? We don't even have the research investigating Hashimoto specifically. But what we also understand 
is that the pill depletes certain nutrients that the thyroid needs. So like selenium, that's really important. Um, and in addition to the, so that's where like changing your diet, whether you're on the pill or off the pill, like that can be tremendous in supporting your thyroid altogether. And I'm a big proponent of let's get that diet dialed in because you can control that every single day. It's completely within your control. Um, for the most part, like I do want to honor food deserts and the fact that like not everybody's privileged to have access to food, but you can do a lot more with your diet. Um, then you can say getting your doctor to like necessarily run tests or even prescribe medications, which is part of the puzzle, but it's not the end all be all just like diet is part of the puzzle, but it's not the end all be all. But does that help answer your question? There's yeah. like, I could seriously spend like <laughs> six hours yeah, talking about this and just scraping the surface. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that was super helpful. I just had no idea it would have that impact when the, all those years ago, when we had that conversation originally. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of crazy. I mean, there's, I think there's so much we don't know. Um, in fact, when the pill celebrated its 50th anniversary, there was this, um, a paper published saying like, we don't know much about how this drug actually works. We don't understand the long-term effects we have no idea what we're, what happens when we put a, I just started menstruating and I've only had my third period gal on the pill. And then we take her off right, you know, within the perimenopausal window and she goes into menopause. Yeah. You know, we, we, we hypothesize that the synthetic progestin in the pill is still offering some of the benefits of progesterone. But yet we don't really know. And we do know that progestin doesn't have all the benefits of progesterone. And this is something that there's a big disconnect because we've got practicing clinicians who are like, it's not a big deal. And um, they think that they're like hardcore feminists because they're like dismissing women's concerns and fighting for the pill. And I'm like, yo, you got it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, we fight for access to contraception and access to information. Like we fight for women in like in a very holistic way. So like you make the best choice for yourself. We're here to support you. And we need to push for more information. And if you're asking these questions, we should have answers because there is no excuse yeah. as we talk right now uh, that we don't have answers to these things that we haven't been studying uh, people. And like the best studies that we do get um, are coming out of places like Denmark where like they are tracking, like they've got socialized medicine. So people are being tracked and uh, and what, as I was saying, there's a big disconnect is we've got medicine saying it's not a problem. And we've got researchers saying, we don't know. That's actually not true statement because we don't know. The true statement is we just don't know. And it doesn't appear right now that it's a problem, um, but we just don't know. And so if you right. look, I think um, Dr. Sarah Hill is a great example. She wrote, this is your brain on birth control. Um, <laughs> and I just, I know, right? Like, yeah, you know, I'm like, you know, well, you know, we know the 90s with that, with that yeah. title. Uh -huh. um, but it's so true. She had the same experience as you. I had the same experience as you as you, as I came off the pill and I was like, who am I? Like, yeah. who am I now, 10 years later, having gone through all these developmental years and like 10 years later, who am I? Like when I'm off the pill. And it's very interesting because, uh, to look at her research, because it's looking at brain health and it's looking at the psychology of it. And it's the thing that you will see, um, you know, like clinicians dismiss all of the time. And it's really funny because you know, I'll say it, or there'll be like a health coach that says it. And they're like, they pounce and they attack and they're like, no, you're wrong. And then you see these researchers say the same thing. And they're just like silently disappearing out of the conversation where they're like, I never said that. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, I, I really do feel like when I came off it, I had just always associated my identity with being very anxious and, you know, irritable, especially like leaning into period and stuff like that. And to come off of it and be like, oh, that's actually not who I am. It was Which a, is a really... great feeling, right? Oh, to be it was like, wonderful. Oh, yeah. I'm not as anxious as I thought. Yeah. So one of the, like I mentioned earlier, one of the big reasons why we wanted to have you back on is I have been struggling with my period. And when I came off of the pill, I think it was about three and a half years ago, I did go from having a very, very light, almost non-existent period when I was on the pill to Mm -hmm. it felt like my body was like, whoa. And it gave me some pretty heavy periods of like a lot of bad cramping. But then I think after a few, it had kind of leveled back out and I was experiencing reasonable periods, um, Mm -hmm. for I think a couple years. And then, um, two things happened around the same time, about a year and a half ago, I got the first vaccine and one of my family members went into the hospital. So it was like a, a very high stress time for my body and also getting the vaccine. And I, for about a year and a half now have had periods that are like pretty unbearable. They for a while were coming, every like 20 to 21 days and lasting like 10 days. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is like so heavy, um, clotting, horrible, horrible cramps. And I was like, what is happening? Like, this is not like, I can't live like this, this is really, really hard to keep going through. Um, and I went to two different doctors who didn't want to test my hormone levels mm-hmm. because they said it doesn't like it's not accurate because at any time that you test it, it's different day to day or week to week. So that kind of left me feeling like, okay, well then I don't even know where to start really in, in like what's wrong. And they were just really quick to be like, let's put you back on the pill. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't want to go back on the pill. They said, well, how about IUD? They said, I I really don't want to do that either. (laughs) You're like, I don't want a contraception to manage my symptoms. They're like, Oh, IUD. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't, I've said on the podcast before, I feel like it's like having a Lego in you and there's something about it that just feels weird to me. It's horrible. It's so painful. I know. And I know. Oh man. I, you know, I, I, I do want to just say like, I I, want to talk, there's like a lot to unpack in what you're saying. I think we should get into all of that, but anyone who's ever gotten an ID IUD and is just like cry or writhed in pain. I mean, mine was so bad. Um, I was cussing. <clears throat> there is great research people out there uh, that cussing, the, those curse words are actually really powerful. They, help. they can help with tolerance yeah. to pain. But the nurse practitioner who was putting my IUD actually stopped and said, um, if you continue, um, then like, I'm just going to have to stop here because oh. like, I'm not going to tolerate you talking like this. Oh and, my like, gosh. I'm, you know, I'm like, what in the internalized misogyny is this? Um, <laughs> wow. but seriously. And I thought to myself, the audacity as a clinician to put their discomfort ahead of the discomfort of the patient, that you are physically putting me in pain, yeah. but you're more concerned about like language. Like yeah. I like, never like I just I just can never with that but it's really come up like I will say that anytime I spoke about my IUD placement like being so painful people would be like don't talk about it because you're going to discourage other women and I'm like it needs to change like they should have done something different and now TikTok 
Ooh, I've shared videos on there of women's stories and how many women are like, yeah, why is this? And then we've got pain management doctors coming on being like, there's no reason for this. And then gynecologists actually stitching their videos, upholding essentially like the patriarchy in women's medicine being like, yeah, no, we're not going to like numb the cervix. Like, no, that the actually like offering pain management, like it's more painful and then you'll see women chiming in from other countries that are like, uh, they offer us sedation. They offer us this. They offer us that. But here in the U.S., we've got like the, the and I'm not hating on OB-GYNs because like, I mean, an OB-GYN burst my baby. Like they're, they're great. Like there's some great ones, but there are also some that are just like, if I like, you know, basically like they dig in and just like tell patients to like shut up and be quiet more. Like I'm a better doctor. Like I actually, I don't understand if that's where they're going with that or what it oh is. My God. Um, but I do just want to validate to anyone listening. That was, um, I've been through childbirth and I felt like it was worse than childbirth. Oh in- my God. But, I mean, oh, it was, yeah. There was less compassion. Like there was far less compassion for the pain that I was going through. Um, but yeah, yeah. and I, I hadn't gone through childbirth at that point. But now that I look back, I'm just like, that was, um, that was really barbaric. Like what, yeah. clamping yes. my cervix and shoving this like, you know, stick up there, this dipstick. And like, I was trained to place IUDs. And now I look back at like at how I was trained, which was not to like numb, not to give anesthetic, not like to be like, you're going to fill a little pinch. I hate, I, and then I got my ID and I was like, I will never say that. And then it, like, I hate myself for that. Like that is just so oh. messed up. Oh my uh, God. So you just want to validate that if anybody's like, that was horribly painful. Yeah. And yeah. yet doctors are so flippant, like just get the IUD. Like it's no yes. big deal. Like, no big deal. Yeah. Informed consent doesn't really exist around contraception the way that it is intended or that it should in that like, nobody tells you exactly what's going to happen. And you, I mean, there were doctors, I mean, on social media that really told on themselves, they're like, if we told you exactly what happened, you wouldn't do it. I'm like, right that's part of the choice <laughs> like that's yeah right you as a doctor you don't get to decide what information you withhold from a patient about their body or procedure being done to them you just don't and even if you want them even if you're like oh I really want you to choose this option like I have patients that I'm like they need a thyroid medication like there is no naturally healing at this point like we have done an ultrasound of their thyroid and we I'm like you've got destruction of your thyroid. You've got tons of inflammation. Like you've got all these symptoms. Like you, we are looking at you holistically and there are a lot of problems and your thyroid markers are like just, they're, they're, they're awful. Like they're not compatible with living a full life. And they're like, I really just want to try this naturally. I just want to change my diet. I don't want to take the medication. And even though as a doctor, I'm like, I want you to take that medication. I'm, it's not my body. It's not my choice. It's not my right to like to come in and be like, no, just take the medication or to, you know, sometimes what happens is doctors are like, I'm not going to treat you unless you do what I say. And, you know, I really try to educate them, but like, it's at the end of the day, we don't get to choose for our patients. It's, you know, it's something they have to choose for themselves, but yeah, that was a bit of a tangent. Let's get back to your story. Cause uh, I do have a question. Did they even test your thyroid? They're like, we won't test your hormones, but did they, they test did test thyroid? my thyroid and that came back fine. Um, so my thyroid was fine. They, um, Can we talk about fine. <laughs> for a second? Oh yes. Yeah. So a lot of times, so, uh, conventionally speaking, they test just a TSH with maybe a free T4 or they reflexively test a free T4. So, um, for everybody who's like, what are we talk about? You just like threw out some drug in there. TSH is a brain hormone that comes from the pituitary thyroid stimulating hormone. And it 
tells us indirectly about your thyroid function. So if it's very high, that means that your thyroid's not doing what it should in producing hormones and there's a feedback loop. And so it's basically your brain is shouting at your thyroid to get it together and do its job. If it's very, very low and we see elevated free T4, elevated free T3, that's hyperthyroidism. That's too much okay. thyroid hormone happens in a condition called Graves disease, where you do have antibodies, it's autoimmune, but those antibodies, they don't tag for destruction. They actually stimulate your thyroid to produce thyroid hormone. Okay. So a lot of times the doctor's going to say, oh, everything's fine. Everything's normal. And yet their reference range for what's normal is really big. And they didn't necessarily run a full panel. So oh, okay. ESH ideally is usually between one and two. We want it above 0.5 in most instances. And if it goes above 2.5, we are suspecting that this person is moving into hypothyroidism. Okay. Now free T4 is how the thyroid responds. And we want the free because that's, what's actually bioavailable. That's what your body's using. That free T4 Really, we want to see that above one. So a 1.1 to 1.4, that's the optimal range. We're looking for like what's optimal because like being fine, no one wants to be fine, right? We want to be optimal. Right. um, If we start to see changes, that can suggest like this is where you're headed. So why don't we intervene? It doesn't Mm -hmm. need a medication or anything like that, but we can start to intervene. Whereas conventionally speaking, they're going to wait until your TSH is above 4.5, above 5. They might not even care about your free T4. Um, or they might be looking for it to you know be much lower. And then what are they going to give you? A medication. So as a practitioner in the functional medicine space, I intervene before medications. I'm like, great, I can prescribe medications. We've got it if we need it, but how about we just try not to need it? Like, let's let's do what we can first not to get there. Um, And then, so what I also recommend testing is free T3. So your thyroid will produce primarily T4. Then you have to convert T3 in your peripheral tissue. So that means major organs like the kidneys, the gut, you're going to be converting it outside the body. We can actually have conversion issues where your TSH looks fine, your free T4 looks fine, but we're not actually converting it into free T3 the way that we should be, which can, you know, be suggestive that there's inflammation, there might be underlying infections. Like if you, you know, if you had COVID, um, then we could see that that free T3 drops down and we want to watch that and make sure it comes back. But we also want to come in and get you to like move your body because exercise can help with that conversion as well and work on the anti-inflammatory issues around that. And then every woman, in my opinion, um, by the time she's in her 30s, needs to have a TPO and thyroglobulin antibody run. And especially if there's a family history of any kind of thyroid disease. Um, We know hypothyroidism is the most common thyroid condition. If you are in a country where iodine is present, we are in that country then you're the number one cause is Hashimoto's is an autoimmune condition. So we need to be screening because those antibodies show up before the hypothyroidism. We just don't screen until there's symptoms, right? And so we see that Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism go hand in hand. But I hear from people all the time, and I see this with my own patients where they have antibodies but their thyroid hormones look fine. And I'm, and they're like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? This means your immune system wants to like rumble with your thyroid, but your thyroid is still healthy. It's still functioning. So let's work on the autoimmunity. So you never get that diagnosis of hypothyroidism. So I, is that helpful to hear all that explained? Yes. I, it makes me want to go back and look at my um, test results so that I could like know what I'm even looking at. 
For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. My mom was actually my high school French teacher, and while I loved having her as my teacher, I have forgotten a lot of my French as I've gotten older. Now thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. So I picked French because, like I mentioned, that's what I took in high school, and it's actually what I ended up minoring in in college. But it's so funny, like even if you spend years learning it, it just takes a few years away from it for some of that to start to really slip away. So it's been so cool to get to kind of get back to where I was because I do love the language so much. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. It's been truly such an easy app to use. Delaney and I have both been really enjoying getting back into our languages, and we just can't recommend it enough. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash helpless. That's babbel.com slash helpless for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Basically, they, they tested my thyroid, sent me the results, sent me a message being like, hey, everything looks... I can't remember what the, maybe they didn't say fine. Maybe they said great, but Mm -hmm. I, now that I know this, I want to go back and look. But, um, so I guess that, that didn't immediately set off any, like, okay, there's some major problem here, at least from that test. But then when I told the doctor that I didn't want to get back on the pill and ideally don't want to do an IUD, she said, well, we can try the more natural route for a few months and see if that does anything. So she recommended that I started to take 1000 milligrams of vitamin C every day. Mm-hmm. And then two days before my period starts, she said, start taking two a leave in the morning and two at night through your period. Mm-hmm. So she said the combination of those two things should, or hopefully help the like heavy flow being mm-hmm. less and that the cramps would be less. She yeah. said that my body is so it's like having almost labor cramps. Like it thinks it's trying to have a baby <laughs> every time I have <laughs> I a mean, period. Your body's like, your body knows whether it's trying to have a baby or not. So we'll talk about that. Like, okay. <laughs> so, um, vitamin C is great for supporting progesterone levels. Um, so everybody understands you only get progesterone in ample amounts after you ovulate. So this is why ovulation is a really good thing. Um, even though like we don't study it that much, but ovulation is a good thing because we need that progesterone and vitamin C can support that. So can vitamin B6. That's another really helpful nutrient. And as we, um, so, uh, with the Aleve, so that, that can help. Um, and that is something, um, that can really, you know, work in a pinch, not only for like the, um, pain, but also for the heavy bleeding, but what causes the pain? 
So if we back it up and ask that question, it's chemicals that are hormone-like called prostaglandins. And prostaglandins um, are also why, so when she's like, oh, it's like your body's trying to have a baby, prostaglandins are going high. Now, prostaglandins are made from omega fatty acids. If you make them from primarily omega-6, and everybody's like, omega-6 is the devil, you need some omega-6, so it's not so bad. But if your diet is heavier in omega-6, which is usually more processed food is where we see that, you're going to make more potent prostaglandins, which are going to really squeeze, like going to get that uterus squeezing. You also probably have period poops because prostaglandins, um, once they get, once they get going down there, they don't care. They're like, you're a muscle, let's cramp, let's go. (laughs) So um, (laughs) switching the diet to include more omega-3 fatty acids and that might, uh, so cold water fish is the, is going to be the best source of this. Um, and, uh, if you are vegan or vegetarian, you can, um, you can substitute with, uh, uh, uh algae. So you can take algae otherwise taking a quality fish oil that, you know, is, um, go- like, I'm going to, I want to say like, uh, clean. And I really do mean clean in the fact that it's not contaminated with heavy metals or other things like the company is screening for that. Um, so bringing those in usually around 2000 milligrams and you want EPA and you want some DHA DHA. Everybody's always like, that's for your brain. That's for baby when you're pregnant, but like also, uh, also good for like everybody, but EPA is what's going to have that anti-inflammatory effect in that. So that's, that's one piece of the prostaglandins. The other piece is that when I hear that somebody went through a really stressful period in their life and then their period started to get off and then they continued. So to talk about the vaccine, it's just like, this is like so science. Um, Let me just say like, um, we were in a crisis. They wanted to rush getting a vaccine out as soon as possible. And then they introduce it. And then women are like, something's wrong with my period. And first everybody's like, Y'all are making it up. You're anti-vaxxers. You're anti-science. Shut up. You're going to scare people like the, the hate that women got for being like, something's not right here. And then suddenly yes. they were loud enough. There was enough people that it was undeniable that they're like, oh, you know, actually we never checked on periods. So maybe we should like study that. Like, yeah, you think? Oh, yeah. And instead yes. of like outright gaslighting and dismissing women or the whole like, if you questioned anything, like you were just like anti-science and like part of this bad, like, blah, 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 like stop, stop, like, you know, we can like question it and still be like, this has utility. And yet as a provider, when I was seeing some of that, I'm like, okay, I need to like prep my patients for that. So they're not right. scared. And because when we were like, when we saw that gaslighting or we were just like seeing people ignore it, um, more people got afraid. And then people were like, oh my God, I don't want the vaccine. I don't want anything to do with medicine right now. And it, it, it breeds distrust. And so um, then the research came out and they were like, yeah, in fact, it does. Um, it can temporarily mess with your period. That's not shocking. Okay. It's not shocking um, because one, you as an organism, are very in tune with your environment because you are meant to carry life and to get pregnant and then to carry life and then to birth that life. And so you've got a next level as being an organism of of this planet that you've got to be like in tune with this environment. So if there's any kind of stressor that can throw off your periods, 
The other thing is that your uterus is not just like the, the baby keeping box. Okay. It's also got some ties to the immune system that we don't totally understand, but we know that immune activation can affect the uterus. And we do know that when like, um, for example, when there's autoimmune disease or a lot of inflammation that can affect fertility as well. And so this is something that we've seen temporarily. I've seen temporarily. I haven't seen uh, women like lose their periods indefinitely. Um, or like, and I've had patients go on to get pregnant. I know there's people out there that are like, Oh, you'll never be able to get pregnant. And then like, uh, I just haven't seen that be true. And they haven't seen that to be true in the studies. So, um, and that's not to say there can't be a one-off case and, and something happens and like the whole, and you know, it's just that like, basically the dominoes line were all, you know, stacked, right. And, and they fell, so I do just want to honor that, like, sometimes we can have multiple things coming in all at once um, that can shift the system in a way that's less favorable. 28 days, by the way, you're in the only, like, only like 13% of the population has 28 day cycles. So if you're, if you're like, I'm 27 or I'm 32, you're normal. Don't worry about it. But if okay. your cycle suddenly like shifts and it's like, the period's coming like every 21 days or, you know, uh, that's something that we start looking at, like what's happening with progesterone and the corpus luteum. So any stressors, your body, your body is going to, the master orchestrator, if people could see me, I'm like the puppeteer right now. Um, and the brain is like, we are stressed, like cortisol, you do your thing and progesterone forgets you. We don't care. We're not making babies like get out of here. Um, and so if that happens, it's like you, you might notice that you're feeling more anxious, agitated, you're having a harder time falling asleep, staying asleep. Um, you can have those, those cortisol symptoms, but you might not, you might be in the thick of stress and not even like be within your body and noticing these things. And yet your body's shifting away from the progesterone production in the name of survival. And so it's all about how do we get our body out of that survival mode and during very stressful periods of time. And you've got to travel, right? Like that's your yeah. job, but maybe you are, you know, dialing back some exercise. So instead of doing like any kind of heavy lifting around those travel days, you're doing more walking and you're going for long extended walks or you're doing, uh, you know, more stretching or Pilates. And so you're still doing strength training, um, or you're dialing back how much weight you're putting on. So basically you're not exercise is a stress, right? Yeah. It's a good stress. Um, sometimes we overdo it, but it is a good stress, but it's still a stressor. So we have to look at that. We have to look at how we're eating. We have to look at like, how, how is our travel schedule? Are we taking tons of red eyes? Like that, that's not good. Right. I don't even know why this exists. They're like, I, my husband was like, he tricked me into a couple red, red eyes in my lifetime. And I have never, never again. Uh, and yeah. I just told him like, at this point in my life, you can call it the princess travel stage because I will be treated like, a I, I need <laughs> a buffer time. I need like, I cannot do that because, um, you know, as you try, if you're traveling somewhere and you are, um, like when, you know, I traveled to Europe, it was to speak at a conference. Like I can't show up wrecked. I can't show up jet lagged. I have to be like high energy on a stage and ready for the next three days that every time I come out of the bathroom, someone's going to be there waiting to ask me a question or interact with me and like um and I say all this and it is not exaggeration to anybody <laughs> that's like yeah well um, same I mean I'm waking up at 4 a.m to catch a flight to the east coast where I have two shows the second I land yeah. I mean I just told a story on the podcast about how my one of my connecting flights was delayed missed it had to get on a different one I landed 
as my show had already been starting, had a rush in an Uber. I walked on stage from the Uber in my airplane clothes. And yeah. it's like, you're, you're insane. It's like, it's really so stressful on the body. So I, that is a really hard part of my job is like, I'm yeah. not ever really giving my body a full chance to even get it figured out on its own, like yeah. to get back into, oh, back into a rhythm. And so finding the best routine for yourself is really key. And as I was talking about with the melatonin, like, like there are people who are like, you should never take melatonin and you're messing with a hormone. It's also a really potent antioxidant. And we know from the night shift worker studies that it's really the melatonin piece that's so problematic. And if we can supplement and their melatonin is low as it should be, they're exposed to light all night. If we can get them. So with my night shift workers, I usually, when they get home, I'm like, take some melatonin. If we can get, and I have, I will test their melatonin levels um, if that's in their budget, but, uh, and if we don't need it, then great. But if we do, we should definitely have that on board because melatonin is such a protective antioxidant. And I think we lose sight of that because we're always like, oh, well, it's just going to help with um, sleep. Yes. And protects your ovaries. And it's been, you know, there's, there's studies showing a link to cancer, increased cancer risks if your melatonin is not optimal. And so, um, we want to be looking at that piece. The other thing is like, how are vitamin D levels? So vitamin D, another one where we call it a vitamin acts a little more like a hormone often. Um, I mean, I will see labs come back, uh, where the patient comes to me and they're like, my provider said my vitamin D was fine. And the reference range, you know, cut off is like 30 is normal. And they're, they're at 30 and they're like, oh yeah, you're totally okay. And it's September. All right. And like where you live is going to be dark. How much sun are you going to be getting? Like, no, you're not fine. And really vitamin D, we want to see more up to like 50 to the 80 range. And when vitamin D gets low and it's like, look, I know I have patients who like, you know, spend half the year in Mexico and their vitamin D is low. So just, just because you live in the sun doesn't mean you spend time in the sun. And also like, none of us are like trying to give all of our money away to like the you know, estheticians and, and, uh, you know, plastic surgeons who are wearing sunscreen like crazy. Right. Yeah. Uh, or I hope you're wearing sunscreen because melanoma is no joke, but with that, that's going to also block uh, vitamin D synthesis. And so um, with that in mind, that's another thing to test for. Like we see like, especially like, uh, so we see all kinds of problems, by the way, everyone, there is an article all about vitamin D at drbrain.com. We see all kinds of hormone problems can come from this immune system dysregulation, autoimmune disease, and even PCOS women, they can significantly struggle with this, um, as well, if their vitamin D is not optimal. And sometimes that's, you know, the missing piece. But you know what I'll say is oftentimes it's all of the things, right? We have to manage our stress. We have to get our vitamin D optimized. We have to look at like our circadian rhythm. Like how, how are we sleeping every single night? Um, and we have to just kind of chip away at these things. And I say that because so often people are like, oh God, I have to like do everything all at once. Very rarely is it the patient that does everything. I like, I'm like, here's a treatment plan. Here's where we're going. Here's what to work on. And then they do, they implement everything the next day. Very rare are they the people who even want to come back, let alone feel like this is sustainable. So when I say chip away, you can't change everything overnight. Starting a vitamin D supplement, not that hard. Starting, maybe you just get your curtains open in the morning and then you order those blue light blocking glasses and you start those like a week later. Like it's yeah. okay to take things step by step. And when your doctor said, well, give it a couple months, 
most things are going to take three or more months to really start to see change when it comes to shifting our menstrual cycle. And that's because how you got to where you're at, yes, there was the vaccine. Yes, there can be like these, you know, stressful events. But when we get to like, things are so bad that we're seeing a doctor, they've usually been months in the making, if not years in the making. And so we can't just expect Yes, if I give you a medication, then I do expect that that should be working like sooner than later, because that is like a higher order intervention. But if we're going with like the foundational, the diet, the lifestyle, we're talking about habit changes, behavioral changes here. One, those take time to change, but also they take time because you're naturally trying to coax your body back into where it's supposed to be rather than just coming in and saying, no, you're going to do what I say when I say do it, which is what a medication does. And like, yay, we have those when we need them, but you know, it's just about what route you're choosing to take and then managing the expectations reasonably. Yeah. Do you think, cause I'm somebody who's so always really like to go the natural route. I hate even taking this much a leave every month. Is that something that's concerning? Like, is that going to have potential long-term bad effects? Yeah. So, um, one, your gas- gastroenterologists are going to be big mad about that <laughs> because it's not. And I already have IBS. Guy. I don't. Oh yeah, that's not that's not great. Um, so that's definitely not great. And that's something too that you know when we talk about the so the the bleeding is definitely concerned, and so that might need to be used. But when we talk about um you know the the cramping, like that is something where honestly magnesium magnesium can start to work like within the first month of using it, like if you're consistent with it. Um, so some people will notice, uh, changes with that. The other thing, um, about, you know, using that is that there is, you know, the potential that maybe it could interfere with ovulation or the ability of the corpus luteum to do its job. And there have been studies showing that like, Hey, if you're, if you're using, um, NSAIDs, then you, it could, uh, interfere with ovulation. So, it would be interesting to see if you are ovulating. So one thing that your doctor could recommend is that um, you track your basal body temperature, um, which, you know, uh, you can use a thermometer to do that, a special basal body th- uh, thermometer. Um, you can, pl- I'm like all for like, plug it into an app and let the app do the, do the math and math done. Uh, but you can also do a charting yourself. Um, there's something, so like I wear an aura ring and it, um, tracks my basal body temperature. And so I look at that, you see that temperature spike. Um, that's one way to know that ovulation is happening, but you can also do ovulation prediction kits. Um, so this is what women use when they're trying to get pregnant, but it's really helpful to see, like, are we actually ovulating? And if you are ovulating, then when we test progesterone, cause your doctor's right, your hormones do fluctuate. But if you were trying to get pregnant, we could test, we would, we would be testing stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's five to seven days after ovulation that we want to test. However, if you ovulate and then your period's coming five to seven days, like, you know, set or seven, 10 days after ovulation, you're not making enough progesterone. Like that's not happening. Like we know that. Um, And so, you know, we never answer that for people. And I hear this a lot where doctors are like, why would I test your hormones? They fluctuate so much and they change all the time. Or I always love when they're like, you're supposed to have hormone imbalances, uh, you know, because estrogen and progesterone are not supposed to be balanced. I'm like, no, they're supposed to be balanced with each other, but they're not supposed to be equal. Like that's, that's a different thing, but that is, so one I'll say is that if your doctor doesn't know what to do with test data, they shouldn't run it because they can't interpret it. They can't do anything with it. You like, you just got this data and now what? Nothing. And if it's not going to change their treatment plan, then that's fair. If their only treatment plan is going to be IUD or pill, 
then, and no matter what the tests say, then like, why test it? Cause right. yeah, if, if that's your treatment, then it won't matter what those tests say. Um, so you can do testing. You can do serum testing. Um, you can also do urine testing. So, uh, Dutch is a great panel to run. I like the Dutch panel because I can look at, you know, I can look at your testosterone, your DHT, which is the potent, potent form of testosterone. So that's going to, that's going to be helpful if you're experiencing hair loss or if you have PCOS. And I'm also going to look at like, what are your estrogen levels? Um, this, you know, there's several different types of tests that they do, <clears throat> excuse me, but, um, we, you know, the one I typically do is the complete which is going to look at that progesterone. It's also going to look at your cortisol, your cortisone, your melatonin, some of your metabolites. So taking a look at some of your nutrients and understanding like what are what is your um, basically DNA damage, like what's happening in the body that's like on the cellular level that we should be aware of. And so that's another test that can be um, done and can be helpful to understand that. But like I said, if anybody is like, okay, I know, and by the way, just by the cheap, I'm not linking Amazon. Like I'm not saying like skip small businesses, anybody, but like people always say like, what about small business? No, small businesses do not carry giant packs of OPK kits. Okay. Like they don't have the OPK box of kit of tests. So Amazon does, and it's really cheap. And like anything I was just saying to my husband, like pregnancy tests are such a scam. Like anything that's sort of like involving women's health is just such a scam. They're like these really simple things. And yeah, it's like $25 for one, like, you know, because it's name brand and all this stuff, just buy the cheap stuff on Amazon, dip it in your urine. Um, and usually, you know, depending on your cycle, like starting around day 10, and then you'll see that LH spike. And when you see, and, and you're going to do this in the afternoon. So you're going to test in the afternoon, pregnancy tests, everybody their first thing in the morning, uh, luteinizing hormone, that's going to spike in the morning. We want to catch it in the afternoon and it, it has a pulse, uh, to it. Um, but you want to test that like around like 2 PM when you see that it's positive, you're going to ovulate. You're going to ovulate within like the next 24, maybe 48 hours. So the next day or two. And so you can mark that like positive OPK and then you can watch. And if your period is coming like seven days later, eight days later, like we've got a problem. We're not, we're not making that um, progesterone. And again, uh, so birth control and the IUD, no birth control has progesterone only. It has progestin. Mama nature makes progesterone. Your ovaries make progesterone. So you can't like patent it. Um, <clears throat> and so this is synthetic. It, it, again, it's different. Um, cause sometimes doctors will say like, we'll just give you the IUD and then I'll give you all the progesterone you need. It will give you progestin, but it didn't address what was going on. If you want to use that, it's totally fine. But, yeah. um, with that, uh, that's where the vitamin C, the vitamin B6 and Vitex can be really helpful as well, which is an herb, um, that you can take throughout the cycle, or you can take following ovulation in even higher amounts to try to support the corpus luteum in doing its job. And anytime the ovaries are not doing what they should be doing, right? Because if your brain is signaling, um, which if you ovulated, your brain is signaling, so ovaries, what's up? we want to look at mitochondrial health and mitochondrial function as well. So 
um, again, like the night, the, the throwing off the circadian rhythm is going to affect inflammation. That's going to affect your ovaries. Uh, look on planes. I know somebody's going to be like, don't fear monger about toxins. There are environmental toxins on planes. Um, you know, so, like sometimes they're spraying them with stuff. Like you walk in and you're like, something's all right. Like this smells so bad in here right now. Um, and you know, all of that is in the name of like, let's not have other bad things happen to you, but you are exposed to all kinds of things. Um, you know, there's even the like, what about jet fuel residue? And there's all these questions. I'm not an environmental toxins expert, but I will tell you that if anything hates on your mitochondria, like NSAIDs, uh, they're going to hate on your ovaries because your ovaries next to your brain are one of the richest source of mitochondria and mitochondrial health is everything to ovarian function. So that's just like another piece. I feel, um, I kind of feel bad because I'm adding like all of these layers and talking about all of these things. I want it to be in an empowering way. And I don't want to be why I'm feeling bad is I'm like, I hope this is not feeling overwhelming for people where they're like, oh my God, like, what do I, <laughs> well, I will say, um, so I've been sharing on my YouTube, my journey of trying to get pregnant and the supplements that I'm taking, um, spoiler, if you just want healthy ovaries and you want to support, um, mitochondrial function, like all the stuff we use for fertility is what we use for supporting mitochondrial function is what I use like in athletes, like all of this stuff. So, but you can go to my YouTube and there's supplements for, um, getting pregnant and you can look at that and you'll see, I'm talking about like some of the same stuff I already talked about with like helping my circadian rhythm, like CoQ10, like CoQ10 is, um, it's just an amazing, um, amazing ally to the body overall. Yeah. I have a question, Dr. Brighton. So first of all, I completely empathize with your IUD experience. Mine was horrific. I, I, they actually couldn't even get it in the first time. I had to oh. go back another time because they actually had to give me a pill that they give pregnant women to induce labor yeah. to like open up my to cervix ripen and get it up cervix. there. Yeah. Uh, horrific. Let me just like say like, is it not crazy what we will do to like not get pregnant? Like you went, yeah. like I yeah. think about I was not the, the copper IUD like wrecked my, like I was bleeding all the time. The periods were so awful. Like all, and I was so just, bad. I became anemic. <laughs> like oh, um, It was like, it's just really funny, but I was like, I don't care. I don't want a baby. I'm not having a baby. Yeah. Um, and yet there's men who like never want babies or they're all done having babies. And they're like, Oh, I'm not going to like go in for a quick, like 15 right procedure like how could I like and have an ice pack for like you know a day no <laughs> I'm like you have no idea like, yeah we'll just live with a piece of metal inside of us forever that's nice <laughs> um but yeah I I'm curious because you know my my little sisters I'm over a decade older than both of them and I think both of them there are now on uh hormonal birth control and I thought by this point, they would have gotten more information at that time than I did. And they still haven't. They still just got the basic shit. Here's the pill and that's it. Yeah. What needs to change like systemically for us to get more information at the time that we're getting these options? Like in your opinion, what needs to change? So your doctor actually talks to you about this stuff. Yeah. I mean, a lot is medical education, but Oh, it's so hard in the current political climate, right? Because anything about birth control that's negative is being weaponized and being used as a reason that like we should just take it away because it harms women. Yes, lots of things, things that are over the counter have the potential to cause harm in some individuals, but they don't always cause harm. The problem with birth control is that 
we don't talk about all of those, all of the issues that can come up. You know, doctors, a lot of the time they're, you know, they're not taught like, you know, that this is these things worth mentioning because the side effects, like having a stroke is so rare, you don't really need to talk about it. And yet, if you talk to a parent who's lost a child because they were on birth control and and got a clot and uh, didn't know the signs and symptoms, like you have a very different perspective. Or when I have talked to patients who are like, I went to the ER with a bad headache and my provider's like, oh, it's just a migraine, go home. And never even asked about the fact that she was using birth control. And then when they decided like, I'm going to a different hospital because I'm not being taken seriously and to find out, yes, they actually have a clot in their brain. Like (gasps) these side effects are rare. Like, you know, when we, when we're comparing, and they always get compared to pregnancy, right? Well, like compared to, compared to the thing they're trying not to do that thing. Yeah. um, But, you know, to answer your question, like it's very complicated. So one, we need practitioners uh, to provide informed consent and to provide better education. And it needs to be a lot more um, holistic. I, you know, I wrote Beyond the Pill and yes, it got some pushback, but it got way more people and practitioners writing to me saying, I'm going to do things differently now. I spoke at a conference and I outlined all of the mental health concerns around birth control and the studies and what we have and what we don't have. And, um, and then, you know, the thing, cause the providers will always be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Otherwise it'd be on the like package insert. It is on the package insert. It says if you have significant like depression, like discontinue this drug. And yet mm-hmm. most providers are just glazing right over that. Or you get through this whole mill of like, um, you know, I, I my good friend who's a pharmacist. She's like, what I'd often see is women will prescribe the pill. And then it was a matter of time till they were in for their, like, it was usually an antidepressant, but it might be anti-anxiety medication. And then there might be, you know, what's coming next, like a thyroid medication. Uh, and she was like, I saw so many times where women were on the pill. And the next thing was here they were coming back for a new prescription, a new prescription, because we're taught not to question the pill. Like we, it's like, has the pill and have contraceptives like done a lot for us? Yes, they have. Like I'm a first generation college student because I had the ability to control my reproductive health. Is that the only reason? No, but it's a big part of it. So, you know, without contraceptives and the ability to control our reproductive health, like, uh, you know, we look at things like, well, what happened with college rates when we got that? Like we started graduating college more. We actually I mean, laws changed as well, but like we weren't, we were getting promoted at work and we weren't like getting fired because we were pregnant and these kinds of things. Um, it has a lot of benefits, but because the benefits were told, don't question it. It's a woman's right. And because it's always been under political threat, which by like, I will just say right now, I don't care what your political beliefs are. They don't belong in medicine. Like they just don't belong between a patient and a doctor because we also use the pill for other things. Like if you've got severe endometriosis or um, you're going to like essentially hemorrhage, like we might be using the pill just so that we keep you alive. Like very, very important thing or keep you so that you can function. Um, and so, you know, all that's to say is that 
I think because it's always been a battleground, it's been very hard to get people to talk honestly about it. And the number of times I am sought out um, where like my assistants got to do like research on podcasts and all this uh, media, because the number of times I'm sought out and they're asking for like a soundbite or something like that or an interview. And we look into it and it is fully a anti like you know, women belong at home, barefoot in the kitchen. They do not, they should not have access to birth control. And I'm like, I will not speak. Like I have always been like, give them the pill. If that's what they want, give them their contraception and also give them all the information, like, because that's what they deserve. I will advocate always for access to contraception and access to information. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for that. I might send you more questions on Instagram. <laughs> I think if, you have my number. You just text me. <laughs> really? Okay. I, mean, I don't know if I do. Maybe I do. Anyway, I'll, either way, I'll get your number afterward. But you truly are like, this is such a benefit of this podcast. Not just we hope to give our listeners this information, but I feel so grateful that we get to have people like you on because a lot of people walk around like, well, fuck, I don't. I don't even know where to begin if I'm having these problems. And like in my own experience, went to the doctor and left feeling like, yeah, okay, that I still don't feel like I've got a ton of information or a ton of options. So to get to have you on Mm -hmm. and learn so much more, feel so much more hopeful that like, okay, I'm trying this thing right now, this whole vitamin C, a leave thing, and I'm going to do it for another couple months. And then I will check back in and figure out, is this working? Do I need to give this more time? But it just, you're wonderful. And thank you for coming on and talking about it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And I do want to say like in your doctor's defense, like if, if we can just give you the pill or we can just put an IUD in and those problems go away, like, why wouldn't we want to jump on that and be like, look what I have. And your doctor truly wanted to help you, which is why she offered you those things. It's just unfortunate that, you know, conventional medicine doesn't get the training that like they don't get the training in the extent of nutrition and lifestyle interventions, but also on, you know, collaborating, like, you know, referring you to a registered dietitian to, you don't have to have diabetes to see a nutrition specialist. Like that's something that could be really helpful as even my primary care doctor. Um, she works, she's collaborative with a dietitian as well. And she's like, Hey, she's always available if you need her. Um, and I think that's awesome. I think that's where we need to see things going. Um, and just having more research in women's medicine so that there is more evidence to back up these things that we know they work. We know that they work. Um, and yet sometimes doctors are like, there's just not enough evidence for me to recommend it. Like evidence to recommend like eating more foods with like vitamin B6 and, you know, bringing in, um, you know, more calcium, vitamin D, like all of these things. It's like, you know, changing your diet for the better, like, yeah, like you're going to win. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, please plug anything that you would like to, to plug. Um, we've talked about your book beyond the pill before and just, yeah, please tell people any resources that they can go to for you. Yeah, well, I talked about uh, drbrighton.com, which just has like so much information. Um, and, and we put out new articles every single week, just trying to answer all of the questions that we get and give you the info. Like, you don't know where to start, right? right. Start there because I we're going to give you as much as we can. 
um, to help you get started. And so that you, it's something that I'm like, I just love when my patients are like, Oh, I read everything. And I started doing that. And I'm like, you've already got the foundation. Let's go. Like now, like you're going to spend way less time with me and you're going to get better, like way faster. Uh, but when you go there, um, you can actually go directly to drbrighton.com slash hormone kit. And that's our hormone balancing starter kit, which has a meal plan and a recipe guide. Cause I'm always out there being like, Oh, you can eat this and you can eat that. And then people are like, well, how, how do I actually do that? You can, you can grab that free guide that'll help you get started. And yes, your husband, brother, you know, kids all like can all eat that as well. And, um, that's a resource that we provide so that, um, if you never come and see me, I can still help you. Yeah. And, um, what's your Instagram handle? It's at DR. So Dr. Jolene Brighton, um, that's B R I G H T E N same on like everywhere. So TikTok, um, YouTube, all of it. Yeah. Cannot recommend following her enough on social media. You guys such informative and still like fun videos. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you, you, you totally understand like how people sometimes need to hear things in order to, to get it on just like in layman's terms. So yeah, well, we've all like gone through like health ed, right. Where we're just like snore and like, we can do this better. Also like learning about your body should be fun. Right. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. much, Dr. Brighton. That was awesome. Yeah. I will probably message you on Instagram later today. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yes. Okay. Uh, Feel better. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Man. Okay. Well, like I mentioned in the intro, I know that 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 was a lot of information to take in. Yeah. You have to listen to that one a few different times, take lots of notes. But I mean, here's the thing, like having having your menstrual cycle messed up, it truly, it just affects your life so deeply. Um, especially if you're having like really bad cramps and really having like all that stuff, it's like, that is a huge part of your day to day every few weeks. Like it, it is, it's a super important topic. And the fact that women don't have enough information that is easily accessible to them. And even when they go to a doctor, they're still not getting the full story. It's just really tough to know that that's how our system currently works. And yeah, improves. well, and it's still periods are still kind of a thing that like taboo to talk tab- about. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah. it's kind of gross and blah, blah, blah. And so I think even, I mean, I feel comfortable talking about whatever's going on with my period amongst my female friends, but yeah. it's just one of those things that like, I would never... I, I probably would never pop on my Instagram stories and be like, Oh my God, like my period is so bad right now. But like, yeah. and yet that makes you feel more isolated. It makes you feel more alone and what's going on. So I hope that kind of opening up about what's been going on in today's episode, that if you listeners do experience any of that, if you've been going through it, just know I'm right there with you and it really fucking sucks and hopefully we can get things figured out. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. So, um, go follow Dr. Brighton on Instagram. She's a really, really great follow. And, um, my segment for this week is a, it's a very, very big, good shit. And I had my shows in Spokane um, this past weekend. So they were my hometown shows and those are always really special 
in a lot of ways. Like my first grade teacher usually <laughs> comes out. She's still my favorite teacher to this day. That's so cute. So like, honestly, some, my like high school, um, counselor came out, How? uh, like a different high school. I mean, so many, so many teachers, so many people just like throughout my childhood came out and they're really, really sweet shows to do, but it was particularly special because my family member who, you know, I've talked about a lot in this past year and a half with having, um, been diagnosed with, uh, dementia and just, you know, it's been a really big, horrible struggle. She was able to come out to one of my shows and I never, ever thought that they would be able to see me. Oh, I'm going to get emotional. Oh, wow. Um, I, <laughs> sorry, I, I didn't even like cry about this, like on the day or since it's bad. Something about it hit me now. Um, I never thought that they would see me perform again. Yeah. And they had gone back on hospice a couple months ago and the morning of the show, they were discharged from hospice. Oh, wow. And that there, they had already been scheduled, um, to be able to come because you have to like coordinate it with a van, with a wheelchair and all this stuff. They'd already been scheduled that we could have them come to the show, but to also get the news that they were like officially getting discharged from hospice again, because they'd like been more medically stable, um, in the last couple of months. And then to have them, in the crowd and just get to have some time with them afterward outside of the nursing facility, like just out in a normal public place. Yeah. I, it really, I went back home and felt like I had just had a really nice dream. Like I couldn't believe that that all happened. So that was like a really, that was a really, really special night. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that that was able to happen. Thanks. That's so nice. Um, I don't really have anything. I don't really have a segment today. Okay. Um, my, my, my little pup is, uh, he's getting his little neutering uh, operation. So I'm just like on edge about that. <laughs> nervous oh. about that. Cause he's just so small. Um, so I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm a little bit anxious. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but obviously everything's, everything's fine, but yeah, I just, Oh, thank God. I'm not like a mother to human kids. I'd be a fucking mess, dude. I'd be even just like a routine procedure or something. I just don't think, I don't think I'd be able to handle it. I think I would just fucking melt on the floor with anything if they had to do anything. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much it. (laughs) it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, I think we've covered most of our announcements. Oh, we've got an iTunes review of the episode. Um, so this is from Melissa Saxon. Um, they say so entertaining. These ladies are fabulous, laugh out loud, funny, and extremely relatable. Love them all. Thank you so much, Melissa. Melissa, That's sweet. Yes. And thank you for taking the time. Please, everybody go leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes if you haven't yet. And, um, yeah. yeah, Atlanta helpsters. I've never headlined in Atlanta before, so I'm hoping that I get to meet some of you guys for the first time. So nice. November 4th through the 6th, I'll see you there. KelseyCook.com. 
Fabulous. Yeah. If you're an entrepreneur, you want to check out the minimalist business podcast. It's at delineyfisher.com. It is a private podcast, but it's completely free. So you can, there's instructions on there on how to, how to get it delivered to your inbox. Nice. All right, guys, we love you. Hope your periods are okay. (laughs) Hope it's a light flow today. It's a light flow. (laughs) And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Self-Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast so we can repost you and say thank you. Yeah.